from a business standpoint, I think surrounding ourselves with people that are kind of pushing and doing more than what we're doing, because they're they've encountered problems and we know that there's problems and we can learn from people like that. So I think surrounding yourself with people that are doing bigger and better things than, than we are is, is always something that allows us to continue pushing. And I think that's part of why we, you know, I think our, where we are today is we have surrounded ourselves with people that are doing bigger things than we are. And it encourages, encourages us and motivates us to kind of continue growing. And so I think that's, that's an important piece. I think it's uh, who you surround yourself with and, and also establishing your clear goals and vision and and reviewing those on a daily basis. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey, fellow savvy real estate investors, thanks for joining us today. We're looking forward to sharing an insightful discussion with Mark Baltazar on today's show. Many of you may know Mark already as he's the co-host of the Canadian Multifamily Investing Podcast and the co-founder of Peak Multifamily Investments. Mark has done a great job with educating others on the Canadian multifamily space and has built an impressive portfolio of multifamily buildings in a really short period of time. In fact, in 2021 alone, they were able to acquire close to $15 million of multifamily buildings right here in the greater Toronto area. We were able to talk to Mark about how they find deals, their strategy for improving their buildings through extensive renovations, and getting maximum returns for themselves and their partners. So I'm very excited to introduce Mark Baltazar. Hey, Mark. Thanks again for uh, being on the show today. We're so excited to have this conversation. I'm just going to get right into it here. I think a lot of people already know you because of your podcast and you know your social media presence. Um, I've been following you, know about your multifamily side of things. Um, maybe you can give us a glimpse into what, you know, what you're doing right now and perhaps what your portfolio looks like right now. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've been investing for, I guess this is going on seven years. Uh, so, you know, not, not a long time, um, but enough that I've, I've experimented with a few different strategies, started off with, uh, uh, the intent was to wholesale, but that quickly turned into flipping for a bunch of years and, uh, it held some properties along the way, uh, from a rental standpoint. And then I'd say beginning of 2017 started kind of really trying to understand commercial multifamily and then bought uh, my first buildings in uh, 2018 and then uh, scaled to uh, about uh, 30 million under a management right now um, across a few different markets, uh, Barry, Hamilton, Kitchener, and looking at uh, other markets in the surrounding area in Ontario um, right now. So yes, the primary business right now is really acquiring a commercial multifamily uh, apartment buildings. 
collaborating with accredited passive investors, you know, people that are looking to kind of expose their portfolio or get some exposure into real estate, something a little more stable, something that's kind of doesn't, you know, doesn't have drastic uh, volatility. And, uh, and so that's kind of been our sweet spot. Amazing. And, and what do you typically focus on? Is there a specific size that you like in, in, in terms of number of units? So, I mean, started off with two seven units. Um, in fact, we're we're trying to sell that right now, just because we've hit our pro forma targets, kind of on that you know, a couple of years earlier than we thought, which is which is nice. So now it's kind of the twenty to thirty unit range, you know, five to eight million dollars or so, depending on which market. And we're finding that, and I think you know, as people, uh, those that get into the you know the asset class and investors that you know buy multifamily and operate multifamily themselves i think we'll will realize and just just as people have realized from you know duplexes and triplexes moving into multifamily the more units the better from a scalability standpoint i want to say it's easier it's not uh, you know yeah the capital is a little bit more your your opportunity to generate an roi actually it is easier you know i think you know we operate the value add model, so uh, a big chunk of it is based on, you know, improving, th- you know, the finances and the income and the gross rents and such. So if you have more units to play with and and do that with, then your opportunities, you know, is a little bit better. Whereas kind of in the smaller multifamilies, like the ten units or less, or even twelve units or less, you know, there's uh, I think there's an increased risk in trying to achieve your target ROI with smaller buildings. So that's, so, you know, we're in the 20 plus range now. For sure. Yeah. I mean, we find the same thing. It's pretty much the same amount of work, whether you're doing a 12 unit or 24 unit in terms of acquisition and repositioning, it kind of helps the more units uh, just to do less work uh, because you have everything all managing one site rather than several. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, I guess the question is, uh, what about the market conditions? And are you able to find, you know, the value add deals? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, um, you know, for those that are in the Ontario market, kind of know what's going on from a competitive standpoint. Those that are not, it's very competitive, right? So, it's, uh, you know, there's the last few buildings that we went after in the 30 plus unit range, you know, north of 7 million or so there's, you know, there's 10 offers on these things. So, you know, very similar to, I guess, what's going on in the single family market is there's, there's, there's bids, there's multiple offers. And I think there's a a bunch of reasons for that. I think it, again, it's another, um, you know, indication of the strength of the asset class. There's lots of capital, uh, investor capital floating around in Canada and even, you know, from international investors coming into Canada. So it makes this asset class fairly competitive. So finding deals is probably, I would say, the most difficult part of the process right now. There is capital transitioning, getting the work done, the renovation. That That's also been a little bit of a challenge too with COVID and supply, uh, material supply and even labor supply actually has probably been the biggest issue over the last you know six to nine months. But deal flow is where is where we're really kind of working hard, you know, to try to get the value add deal right. I think it's I want to say again I don't like the word to use the word easier, but I'd say there's more turnkey properties 
maybe not available, but I think the competition is a little bit less for turnkey properties, uh, at least in our in the range of kind of buildings that we're looking for value, it seems like everyone's looking for value add, of course, you know, I mean, they're trying to take an asset and improve the ROI significantly. And, you know, obviously it can be done um, a little easier with uh, value add. So lots of demand. Um, but I think like anything else, I think you just kind of got to adjust your strategies, you know, connect with more people, you know, put it out there that you're looking, you know, for these types of buildings and, uh, and really just, you know, we're not focusing on one source of of properties. You know, whether it's not, you know, we're not, we're not just looking offline or off market. You know, making connections with as many realtors as we can, as many sellers, staying connected with private sellers, exclusive brokerages, right? So it doesn't really matter where the deal comes from, as long as the numbers are, you know, fit our fit our model. Yeah. And so is there a certain metric in terms of ROI that you guys are looking for when you're underwriting your deals, you know, especially like, um, you know, a certain time frame as well to reach those, uh, that ROI goal? Yeah. So, I mean, our, our standard way of underwriting, you know, we're looking for properties that are going to do, you know, 25% plus per year for the property. That's, that's what we're looking for. Ideally, we hit the 30% per year ROI range for the property. That gives us an opportunity to, you know, bring on, you know, accredited, accredited investors so that they are also participating in the strong ROI. So that's that's kind of where we start. And and typically that's going to be in a five-year time frame. You know, we're liquid, liquidating a couple of buildings now. We, we've been able to achieve that five-year pro forma in, in three years. Right, so yeah, that's always a, a bonus and kind of a cherry on top. We have another another building actually in Hamilton where we're probably going to hit our our pro forma in in about eighteen months, eighteen to twenty four months. We, we don't plan on those, you know. That happens. The market's good. You know, we, we're able to uh, turn over more units than than we originally expected. So those are bonuses. But we plan for a we plan for a five year uh, exit uh, with uh, you know twenty five to thirty percent per year uh, returns. Oh, amazing. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I guess getting back to sort of this bottleneck that some of the investors are facing right now with a lack of supply or the type of supply that you need to to fit your business model, where do you see the business pivoting? Like if you were to look maybe, you know, this year or three years beyond, is it smaller markets that you're going to branch out into, or is there some other type of uh, pivot that you would make if you were if you were hoping to continue to grow? Yeah, so we we've definitely expanded our uh, our market scope. So it was just Hamilton, or, you know, originally last year. Uh, actually, over the last twenty four months, we went into Barrie, which is also a good market. Um, we recently purchased in Kitchener, so that's a, a new market that we closed on. Uh, I guess three or four months ago, uh, and these are still good mar- These are good markets and still very competitive. So we, we've expanded where we're willing to buy. Um, again, as long as the fundamentals are good, right? So a good uh, economic base uh, population is is large enough to support you know, lots of rental demand. Um, there's investment from the municipalities, from the province, um, an influx of other business and population. So we haven't strayed from, I think, some of the core fundamentals that make rental housing businesses thrive. 
So we haven't we haven't gone, for example, into you know northern Ontario, which I know a lot of people are are looking at for cash flow. So we haven't we haven't ventured there. We still want to. I think there's still enough to buy in in markets that have strong fundamentals. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's deals out there, right? I think it's just it's, you, should, you should have to look. I mean, we closed on four buildings last year. Um, you know, if we can do even half of that this year, you know, with values in the eight million range, then then it will be okay. Amazing. And so I had a question, like uh, you, you said you were disposing uh, a few of your assets. Was there a reason that you were looking to sell rather than perhaps refinance? Is it because you want to return investor capital? What was your reasoning behind that? Yeah, yeah. It's a very good question. And so it's an exercise that uh, we've gone, we're going through right now in two, two buildings and to review what can we get on the market uh, versus a refinance. Now, of course, if we don't sell it, then then we'll refinance. That's no problem. So we have you know two paths there. The downside of refinancing. Um, now, that was the original strategy for these two buildings in the first place. What we're finding right now is that with a refinance, you're leaving a lot of equity in the deal. Uh, so one of the metrics that we look at is return on equity, right? So what what return are we getting? You know, for the equity that's left in the deal, let's say it's a million dollars left in the deal. How much per year are we getting uh, for that equity? Right? You know, and the contributions to the ROI are going to be cash flow, principal, uh, pay down, and then some appreciation. But appreciation, we you know, that that's a, a very conservative estimate. And if we think that we can get more, a stronger ROI somewhere else, then then at that point it's kind of a you know a trigger for a sale. Um, so that that's how that's how we're looking at it right now. Now there's some assets that you know we won't sell because the cash flow is going to be good, and we want to still have cash flowing assets in the portfolio. But the ones that we're looking at uh, disposing right now are one they're smaller, so it w- we'd look to upgrade from a unit count, and also at a refi, the return on equity is lower than I think we would get if we put that capital elsewhere. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah makes sense. So when you're putting these deals together, Mark, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how these deals are structured and how investors are getting involved in your deals. What kind of is it a joint venture? Is it a like a you know like a limited partner? What 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 kind of a structure is it for yourself and your investors? Yeah, so right now we have uh, it's a holding company. Each building's in a holding company, and and um, our accredited investors uh, become shareholders, kind of along with us in in this holding company. So that's how we've structured it uh, up until now. Uh, the next deal we've kind of structured a, a GPLP structure for the next deal that we come into because there are some advantages there for the investor taking advantage of some uh, pass through tax. You know, advantages from the depre- uh, depreciating asset, um, as well as uh, limited liability. But up until now, it's been a holding company, and uh, and the people that we work with, you know, they're professionals. They have careers. Uh, they meet. You know, some of them are even operating other other real estate assets, and they just don't want to divert their attention to you know, operating day-to-day a multifamily asset, or they haven't done it before. And so that's kind of our role in the processes as we're doing that, as we're finding and managing the day-to-day uh, and they get to, you know, sit back and, and collect checks. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of management, um, how do you handle it? Is it something that you built in-house or you have third-party property management uh, currently? So we currently have third-party 
Um, so we did experiment with in-house for a number of months and uh, it didn't really work out. I think, the, you know, the person just wasn't the proper fit, you know, so we, we've gone back to third party and uh, the benefit of that is it's allowed us to focus on kind of, I think what we're good at is, which is finding deals and raising capital. And we've, We've left the day-to-day management to to a third-party company. Now we 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 have to manage them, and so we have kind of our our weekly meetings, and we have to deal with you know uh, help them make decisions along the way. But the nitty-gritty of the day-to-day, we've been able to again kind of outsource that, uh, and it's operating both models: having someone in-house and having having someone you know a third party. At the stage that we're at it's uh, more beneficial from a growth standpoint. It allows us to really focus on kind of growing the portfolio versus managing someone internally and training someone internally. And how about um, the renovation management? Uh, Is this something uh, you have uh, basically a general contractor handling all your portfolio or you have, you know, how are you managing that process and with multiple cities that you have your projects in? So it started off with 100% being kind of put out to a general contracting company that would manage it all. Uh, the majority of the the bigger renovations are outsourced to a general contracting company. Some of the lighter unit turnovers, um, we've uh, developed a good relationship with a contractor directly that we manage kind of internally. Um, they're they're not an employee but they do a lot of work for us. Um, you know, things that are, you know, paint, new floors, new trim, anything except for full unit renovations, you know, this person is doing for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. You, and, and you're hundred percent right. It it's ultimately comes down to the value of your time and what you're good at. And I guess focusing on the things that are going to make you the happiest and allow your business to grow the quickest. Right. So yeah, sometimes we have to make those decisions about where we're, we're going to leverage and where we're going to delegate. So definitely. Yeah, for sure. And I, th- I think, you know, one of the, one of the traps, and I think this, you know, a trap that entrepreneurs sometimes fall into is trying to kind of, you know, do everything themselves and keep everything in house because it's going to save money and it's going to generate more money. And that, that is, you know, that's, you know, a valid, you know, method to run a business and kind of a, a, a valid ideology. But I think it depends on how fast, you know, someone wants to grow or, you know, and where, where growth is coming from. And so for us, uh, being able to manage, you know, third-party partners has been the fastest way, you know, at some point, you know, as, as the portfolio grows and as the unit camp grows, you know, we'll revisit again, bringing some of those functions in-house, you know, where, uh, we can have someone that manages it for us in-house, but for the time being, yeah, it, you know, it's, we're, this allows us to focus on, you know, capital raising and, uh, deal flow. Right. For sure. Which are most important for your growth. So when you're doing renovations, um, talk to us a little bit about where, where the money should be spent and what is in your opinion and your experience right now, netting the best, basically rents. Ultimately that's the goal, right? To increase our rents to the highest possible amount. So what kind of things are you guys doing or is there anything creative that you're doing to, uh, make sure that you guys are really getting those, I'm assuming that um, maybe you can tell us: Are, are you are are you going after A class tenants in all your buildings, and um, how are you? What are you doing to get to attract and to retain you know the highest rent possible? 
I would say our renovated units are getting above average rents for sure, probably at the higher end of the range. So in a market, if the range is, let's say the higher end is 2,200, we're probably getting 19 to 2,000, right? So we're not at the top, top, but we're very close to the top uh, and well above the average. You know, we're getting lifts of about, let's say in a building, you know, we're, we're doubling, we're doubling rents for sure uh, in most cases. And so I think the biggest contributors to that is, you know, in-suite laundry. In-suite laundry is very helpful. Um, I think that attracts a different type of tenant um, and they're willing to pay for that. You know, but, you know, brand new kitchens, you know, quartz countertops, right? So stone counters um, make a difference. Stainless steel appliances, in-suite, la- uh, sorry, in-suite air conditioning as well. So those, those are common in our renovations and we've been able to see the ROI there uh, from one, the rent, that we're getting, um, but also I think the speed at which these units are being uh, tenanted um, once we start marketing for you know for new tenants, uh, and of course you know you know floors and paint and trim and all that kind of stuff. But I'd say you know we're spending a little extra money on uh, in-suite air conditioning, you know stone countertops, stainless steel appliances, and uh, in-suite laundry. Yeah, in-suite laundry yes. is a big one. Uh, we've we've found that too. Uh, yeah, it's uh, they're like, oh wow, there's in-suite laundry because it isn't very common, right? And uh, uh, yeah, definitely, you're right. Attracts a different class of tenant, somebody who's willing to pay for that amenity and values. And I think that that's something that only a smaller building would be able to implement because you're not going to get in-suite laundry in. Um, you know, well, typically not in a like a hundred you know, unit, uh, yeah, hundred or, or, or mid size or large high rise apartment building. That's just not their business model. Like one of our buildings in Barrie, we decided not to do that. Actually, not put in sweet laundry, um, and it's an interesting exercise. And you know, it was a you know a conversation kind of between the partners and a you know decision to okay, let's not put it in and let's, let's see what happens. And we tested it out, and we were able to get like you know. 1950 for a two bedroom, which is high in that market. You know, it's at the upper end of that market. And so um, we didn't do that. Um, it's a clean building. The laundry, the laundry facilities in there are, you know, well lit, clean, you know, not coin operated all kind of with the special, you know, uh, laundry card. So it's a little more advanced than some of the other buildings that we have. And it's fine. The location's good. And so we didn't need to put it in that building. So again, each, you know, each building and each market, each location is going to have its kind of its own nuances. Um, but we, you know, we do have a, uh, actually two buildings where we, we purposely did not do that because we can achieve the rents without it. What are you finding is the largest obstacle when it comes to raising money for uh, these multifamily deals, especially, you know, given the fact that now the prices are so high, you know, there's probably not going to be any cash flow for the first, uh, you know, at least 12, 24 months. How are you um, handling that with the, when you're talking to investors? Yeah, so I think uh, cash flow is a conversation that, of course, comes up. You know, most, most people, I'd say, would prefer cash flow. And it's interesting so I dug into why that's the case for at least some of the people that I'm speaking to. And it's often not because they actually need it, but it actually, it's a, a signal that the, <laughs> that the asset is a kind of a living and breathing. It's almost like the pulse check, right? If it's spitting off cash flow, then it's kind of, it's alive, it's working, it's healthy. Um, so that, that is one of the, you know, big challenges, I think in, uh, I'll just speak to the Ontario market, or at least the market that the markets that we're in. 
is that cash flow is tougher to achieve right out of the gate. Um, it def, you know, we're not we're not getting cash flow in our value adds right out of the gate, right? Like by definition, it's you know almost impossible um, given where the rents are, and then uh, will where where we bring them to once it's stabilized and it cash flows, right? But um, it it takes uh, an investor to have a little bit of patience, you know, that doesn't necessarily require cash flow to live. And again, that's why going after um, and working with accredited investors that are professionals, that professionals meaning they have, um, you know, well-paying jobs, they might have other sources of income. They're not using this or relying upon this as their kind of monthly income. This is more of a, a wealth generator for them. And, and that's exactly what, you know, these assets kind of do uh, for us and and our investors. But that is, that is the challenge. Um, and I think... I mean, you see it as well, and it's definitely, uh, you know, in, in social media, you, uh, and, and you, well, you guys are there too, right? Is, is going to the U.S. to look for that cash flow, right? So I think that's an, that's an option. And, uh, but with that, there's trade-offs, right? I mean, where there's higher cash flow, then, you know, there's other things you got to deal with. You know, in Ontario, you know, low cash flow, but typically appreciation is, is very strong and a little bit more stable. So I think there's a, there's a market, there's an asset class for everybody. Um, and what we tell people is you know figure out what you need real estate to do for you first right if it's cash flow then there's markets for that and there's asset classes for that if it's wealth generation then you know this is a good you know asset class you know for them yeah and uh your terms with your investors are typically five years yeah so there's uh yeah anywhere from five to seven years depending on the extent of uh you know the project so we have you know some projects that are that are seven years because the first you know 18 months 24 months are just turning it over and stabilizing it and then applying some longer term financing with cmhc which are in five-year increments so some some are seven uh most are five and so, Mark, um, you know, at the beginning of the year, everyone's talking goal setting and what are we doing? What 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 are your goals for the year? And what are your goals? What is your ultimate goal with the business? Is it just to continue to push yourself and grow, or is there a certain amount of units that you're looking to acquire? Um, sort of, where where do you see yourself going with all this? Yeah, so I mean, we have a goal to acquire twenty million dollars in in assets here in Ontario. You know, we came close to that last year. I think last year we acquired about fourteen or so million. Our, our, our target was fifteen, so we're <laughs> about a million off. Uh, so this year we'd like to acquire 20, 20 million, fewer fewer acquisitions. So if we can do that in two or three, uh, probably three, that would be great. That would kind of you know get us to that, that's essentially you know twenty to thirty, probably thirty unit buildings um, at that point. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what our, our goal is here in Ontario. And then, and then of course, you know, we'll, we're exploring other markets just to, again, see, you know, are there different ways to approach the business? We'll always have our Ontario stuff, but we'll look at the U S you know, look in Northern Ontario, look in Eastern Canada, and just to kind of, just to make sure that, you know, what's being offered in these markets, you know, maybe it's something that is of interest to us and our credit investors and, and maybe it's not, but at least we're going to kind of do the exercise to explore. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I mean, with all that being said, how do you, I think this one's really important is just how do you work on your mindset and can you, you know, continue to achieve that momentum in your business? Uh, sometimes 
I'll be honest, even we get, we get, we have these days where we feel a little more complacent, you know, like things are okay. Maybe we just acquired something. How do you keep pushing yourself uh, to, to move forward? Mm-hmm. Yeah, super good question. And I think uh, minds, it's almost like the concept of a mindset is, I wouldn't say it's overused. I think a lot of people talk about it, but it is, I think, one of the most important things for me. I think there's two things. I think there's the, per, you know, personally, per, what I do personally for mindset and then kind of collectively what I do with, you know, my business partner, Mike. So personally, you know, I have a morning routine and I've been on and off <laughs> with this routine over the years, uh, but I've been pretty consistent so far. It is early and it's still early and I hope to kind of stay consistent, but I have a morning routine where I review my goals. I, I, I have a vision kind of for my life, which I, which I review. So that, that kind of keeps me in kind of the positive mindset from a business standpoint. It's like surrounding ourselves with people that are kind of pushing and doing more than what we're doing. Right. Cause they're, you know, they've encountered problems and we know that there's problems and we can learn from people like that. So I think surrounding yourself with people that are doing bigger and better things than, than we are is, is always something that allows us to continue pushing. And I think that's part of why we, you know, I think our, where we are today is we have surrounded ourselves with people that are doing bigger things than we are. And it encourages, encourages us and motivates us to kind of continue growing. And so I think that's, that's an important piece. I think it's uh, who you surround yourself with and, and also establishing your clear goals and vision and, and reviewing those on a daily basis. Yeah. Very great point. Uh, you know, uh, it's uh, something that we all struggle with uh, in, in, everything goes back to your habits, right? Like for us, we, you know, we start with our yearly goals and then we break it down into quarterly goals and then weekly and then daily. So, and holding yourself accountable, it's, it's a, it's a great challenge. We always get sidetracked with so many distractions during the day, but what, what would you, would you say is your typical day look like, um, you know, uh, in, in your business, uh, uh, and, and your responsibilities versus your partner's responsibilities. Yeah, sure. So I, I start a morning routine at 6am that takes about, uh, 60 to 90 minutes, usually about 90 minutes reviewing goals, uh, a 20 minute walk outside, regardless of what the weather is, uh, whether it's minus 20 or raining, doesn't matter, has got to kind of happen. It's got to because I, I feel like that's kind of energizing. That's before any coffee, you know, drinking 500 mils of water before all that happens as well. And then I started doing, and I've kind of been on a two week kind of streak now of very cold showers in the morning. <laughs> that's working. And uh, so that kind of, that, that starts, uh, that starts off the day. How Mike and I split our responsibilities. So uh, Mike's a realtor, um, and he's been working with a, a large, uh, or a, I'd say a medium sized fund company for a number of years uh, with their acquisitions. So Mike's responsible for acquisitions. And so we're, because he's been helping, uh, some of his clients buy larger, uh, stuff than, than we're currently buying at peak multifamily. Uh, we've been able to get access to deals that, you know, some, you know, some people don't get access to, or at least are taken maybe a little more seriously than, than others. Um, because, you know, he's been able to close uh, with his other clients and we've been able to close ourselves. So Mike handles um, acquisitions. I speak to investors and capital raising. And then we share some responsibilities when it comes to operations. But again, we have a GC that takes care of most of the stuff. So it's not as detailed as a kind of a day-to-day uh, overview. Wow. Yeah, no, that's uh, for sure a busy 
busy work life um, with uh, with so many things going on and you know especially dealing with investors and I'm sure you're doing the reporting and uh, bill paying so what does your current uh, team look like uh, in terms of other staff members so we have a marketing person that we have that works with us in-house part-time um, she's experienced in the financial sector and so uh, and uh, and with some large kind of global consultancies kind of in the uh, social media and kind of PR you know function so she's helped us a lot she's worked with us I think now probably going on three years so that helps a lot which is kind of the marketing execution and the social and the, you know, connecting with our, our um, database of, of, of investors and prospective investors. And then, you know, accounting and bookkeeping. So that we have someone again, that that's outsourced, uh, takes care of all bill payments, paying, you know, if, if we're giving monthly cash flow deals, you know, with investor payments. So all of our books, as well as any, any payments, um, so we don't have to deal with any of that. So that's that's a you know the bookkeeping side of things is a is a big kind of a uh, you know a time sucker. And so that's you know she's really good at that and uh, and takes care of that. And also uh, investor reporting, at least the financial side of things, um, at least the preparation of those financial documents. And then um, I typically kind of you know do a summary write up, for example, just how things are going, how renovations are going, how things are happening, you know what's happening in the market. And then, as I mentioned, we have a third-party property management company that deals with all the other day-to-day stuff. Amazing. Yeah, no, that sounds like a good setup. And uh, probably, like you said, it gives you enough time to focus on the things that you you need to do every single day. So what are you reading right now? What do, what do you read? And uh, what uh, what is it that, uh, you know, sort of uh, keeps your mind going? Is there a podcast a specific podcast that you would recommend or a specific book that you would recommend, either mindset or just growth in general? So I just finished reading, actually, I mean, I'm sure you guys know him. So Sean Allen's book. Um, so I just, I just, I started at uh, in October on a plane to Europe and I kind of got through a couple of chapters and then I kind of switched books. So I just finished that. It's really good. You know what he, a lot of mindset. Yeah. I recently read it too. Yeah. Yeah. I think he did a really good job on it. Um, I, I thought it was going to be kind of more uh, like operational, you know, flip, focus but what you know which yeah he talks a little bit about about it as well but i think the mindset i think he really uh, did a good job about some you know with some of the concepts he's, he talks about i also started picking up um a book about uh, and i forget what it's called um, but it's on land development so you know I have experience with you know did a bunch of flips over the years haven't done one in in, in about 12 months but still looking but looking for bigger bigger types of um, flips, even development types of projects, you know, um, severing land, putting a couple houses on, on property. So I'm kind of looking at that just as a, as a next place to grow and, you know, <laughs> occupy some time. And then, uh, uh, so I just started that and that's, um, Dan Marster, Daniel Marster. I forget the name of the author, but I just, I just started doing that. I uh, reading that one. Okay, perfect. And my last question for you is, Tell us a quote that you live by, uh, something that um, embodies, you know, what you believe in or how you conduct your business or anything that speaks out to you. Yeah. So I think there's two things that I always kind of keep in the back of my mind, especially as things are getting, uh, when things get tough and there's tough decisions to be made or things aren't going as as planned. And I, I don't know who said it. I've heard it a bunch of times. I've said it to myself. I say it to myself a lot. Uh, and that's uh, if it if it were easy, everyone would do it. Right. So I think, you know, there's only a few that can kind of push through 
get through harder times and finally break through. And it's kind of at that breakthrough point where, you know, success is experience. And then the other one, and I have it kind of on my wall here, and it's a, a quote from Gary Keller uh, from, you know, KW, Keller Williams, is uh, think big, aim high, act bold. Um, that's, that's I, I like that one. And I have it on my wall specifically because it's, you know, it's an encouragement to kind of push beyond, you know, your comfort zone. You know, even when I was goal setting for this year, I would look at that quote and kind of ask myself, is, is this bold enough, right? Is this big enough? Like, why not bigger, right? So uh, that's one that, you know, I have here. I have kind of on a computer. Sometimes I have it on a sticky note, depending on what book I'm reading. Um, I, I like that one. It's very simple, but uh, I think it's super powerful. Say that one again, uh, Mark. So think big, aim high, act bold. Yeah, great, amazing. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really good quote. It's uh, almost reminds me of uh, kind of similar. You know, fortune favors the bold. You know. Yeah, totally, for sure, for sure. And I think it's uh, you know, just always kind of remind uh, reminds me, anyways, just to kind of stay out of the comfort zone. Because I think you're right. You mentioned you guys mentioned it earlier. Is you know sometimes you can get complacent or comfortable or there's days where you just kind of don't want to push right and that's that's okay right but i think overall you know if you look at 365 days of the year if you're pushing beyond your comfort zone in most of those days then i think growth you know you'll grow you're 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 forced to grow yeah and i guess you know that's you know for people who are listening i think that that's really important that a lot of this is just about growth personal growth right it's about pushing yourself to become the best version of yourself and to see how much you can possibly achieve. And when you do all this stuff, all these business endeavors, it really develops you as a person really more than anything, right? Like you said, we, we go back to the whole mindset and how important and how much more resilient and how much more mental strength you develop through all the trials and tribulations that being an entrepreneur comes with, right? Uh, and, and, you know, you, and you know, as well as we do that there, there's some pretty dark days there's some really awesome days but there's some tough days too yeah and it's almost like you comparing yourself to an athlete right it's you're as an entrepreneur are facing those same challenges and ultimately that's just a you know your your mental conditioning and mental strengthening is what is the toughness is what is a byproduct of it and makes you a, a stronger more resilient person yeah yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, there's, you know, this idea of stamina, right? Like I was having this conversation with my older son, he's 13 and just, you know, he's going to go into high school next year and the work may be hard or easy or whatever it may be, but what, what's going to start to be tested is stamina. Like how long can you focus and work on something? Right. And I think, you know, with entrepreneurship, it's how long can you stick with something? How disciplined can you be, even though you get knocked down or something doesn't work or there's a failure along the way? Are you, do you have enough stamina to continue working at it? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, Mark, it was a, a great conversation. You uh, have obviously have a wealth of knowledge about multifamily. If people want to get in touch, we'll put in the show notes as well. But if people want to get in touch, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah. So, I mean, a few different ways. So I'm on social media on all the platforms, at least most of the platforms. So Mark underscore Balthazar on Instagram, Facebook, um, and then email is mark at peakmultifamily.ca. And then our, our website has a bunch of resources as well for multifamily investors. Uh, that's uh, peakmultifamily.ca. 
Yeah, fantastic. And we'll definitely link uh, the Canadian Multifamily Investing Podcast, which um, I think people should definitely check out. Like I said, I've we've been listening to it. It's 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 really good. Got some great guests on there too. So um, yeah, thanks again for your time. And yeah, we really uh, appreciate yeah, it. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.